Hello World, retrieving Brad and Christy from the cloud. Hi, I'm your host, Brad Rayford. And I'm Christy Hornlin. Welcome to the Risk Factors Perspectives in IoT podcast. Today, we're speaking with Vodafone Automotive's Chief Security and Privacy Officer, Thomas Bourne, about availability issues surrounding electric vehicles and how digital transformations can enhance the security of EVs. Let's roll. I would like to give a warm welcome to Tom Bourne, who is presently the a Chief Security and Privacy Officer for Vodafone Automotive and the Privacy Officer for Vodafone Group Germany. You're joining us today. Uh, Brad and myself are super excited to have you on. And I am. Welcome. Welcome to everybody. Today, we're uh, tackling the topic of really the adoption of EV vehicles, security, and data privacy, some of the industry challenges that we're facing and how the economy of things is really being used to address these problems. But I think before we dive into all of that, we've actually got a, a icebreaker question from Brad's side to kick us off, to get us all warmed up to go. So Tom, uh, Christy and I did some research and uh, it, we feel very honored to be sitting with a veritable rock star. Right? <laughs> We're just so thrilled to have uh, somebody who specializes in music and has it as such a passion project. Um, but I, I want to pose a question, and it's going to be a little glib. Uh, so when you were coming up with the name of your band, my my thought is I had to I had to look up what the name of your band is and what it means before and so before we say it, um, when you were discussing it with your bandmates, was choosing the name in itself a Hobson's choice? Um, well, it was to a degree because, well, I'm, this is not the first band. So I had a couple of bands, right? And finding a band name is always a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal moment. And they're actually engines on the internet. And, you know, you run through all the suggestions and then you you figure out what you're going to pick. And it, it, it's always strange. But then we came up with this thing. Okay, let's look at certain phrases. And then we came up with Hobson's choice that mark. It was immediately... That's what it is. <laughs> and we have a story behind it. It's always it's always this thing, why, why you call yourself Hobson's Choice, right? And then you say, oh, there's a story behind it. And, and this is what we do for a living. And, and that was, it was pretty cool. So you want to explain it or should I do, should I explain it? <laughs> well, so I, I, I'm, I'm happy to, but I think hearing it from, from you would be, would be perfect. Yeah, well, the, the, there was actually... There was actually a guy called Thomas Hobsons, and he was running relay stations a couple of hundred years ago, right? Where male post male riders actually could uh, have a meal and and change their horses. And he was kind of experiencing the fact that oh, these guys know the horses quite well, so they always pick the best horses, right? And and the other horses were in the corner and said, well, that's not good because it's you know it it pushes the good horses to a limit right and he said i'll change the rules of the house i make it a hobson's choice so it's my choice as thomas hobson's who's going to get which horse so it's a kind of a translates into you have to live with what you get and that that's the story so in other words we come up with program we come up with our style of music and all variations of, of stuff and that's what you get tonight 
Yeah, you know, it's it's a an interesting concept, a Hobson's choice. Uh, when Christy and I were iterating through names for this podcast, uh, we, we came up with so many, we crowdsourced it with our, our larger community. And uh, when we went through the, the various processes, we were presented with a Hobson's choice. Uh, <laughs> we presented all of our name choices. They didn't stick. They didn't like them. And they said, well, you can use this one that we've come up with, or maybe you just don't have a podcast uh, with, a, with a cool name. So uh, it resonates really strongly with, with me and Christy, the, the term and the concept behind Hobson's choice. And I think it's such a fascinating name for a band, uh, especially one that, that plays so many different genres of music, right? You guys, you, you slide into four different slots, funk, blues, soul, rock. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, a cornucopia of musical styles. I think you missed pop in there. I don't know. Maybe you did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Say another mix. And it also goes across different, uh, let's say, decades of music, right? And sometimes we put songs together and merge them and create something new and, for, I'm not sure, for example, if you if you know Hard to Handle, which is a pretty old classic copied by many, many people. And and we were in the rehearsal room and we did this take and uh, it was it's more the rock style of the of the original track. And all of a sudden in the middle, we started to turn it in, into into something completely different. Right. And so we changed the style in the middle of the song and created something completely new and said, oh, that's. That's Hobson's, you know, that's that's the thing. And it became a reggae. Very cool. So the evolution. I feel like with that, you know, we've got a little bit of the, a Hobson's choice with EV charging that we could actually segue into, if I'm being quite honest right now. I think that uh, that is a pretty relative one. So again, to reemphasize that, Really, you get what you get with a lot of charging nowadays, but I would love to kind of set the stage with you, Tom, in terms of, you know, overlaying what the current process looks like uh, for EV charging with vehicles today. And if that's something that, that we can kind of start with as a foundational piece to this, this talk today. Yeah, I'm not sure if you, you write electronic vehicles to yourself, somebody of the team. Say, I do not own one. I don't think Brad does either. Say, unfortunately, I'm behind the, the wheel on that. So I, I live in Texas and uh, EVs are, I don't want to say not well received because there are plenty of them driving around. But there are, I'll say, there's lots of incentives to drive traditional petroleum consuming vehicles, right? I live in Houston specifically. So oil and gas is our primary industry. Uh, so there is a lot of... Uh, people who, who see it as almost like buying stock in their own company, right? Um, but I think there's been an evolution where we're seeing some of these larger companies, uh, the super majors, the Exxons, the Shells, the Chevrons, who are investing heavily in the EV space, right? We've seen them over the past few years dive into renewables to expand their portfolio of energy options, uh, to move towards greener, cleaner fuel source or energy sources, uh, and re-examining what it means to be an energy company. And part and parcel of that is this adoption of providing electricity for EVs. So I think in my part of, of the country, we're, we're at a, the momentum is building and we're probably about to have a very large 
swing of the pendulum and we'll see a, a flood of electronic vehicles or electric vehicles coming to the market that consumers in, in my space will buy. Uh, so it creates this conundrum because right now I know we don't have the charging infrastructure, right? I can't drive down the street. We have gas stations like the Starbucks. Every other corner, you have three or four gas stations. All of your supermarkets have gas stations, but you go somewhere and you've got maybe two charging stations, right? Two plugs uh, for a restaurant where you can plug in. So it's a, a a very competitive landscape right now to be able to charge your vehicle while you're doing something that is accretive to your schedule or to your lifestyle. Yeah, I get that. It's pretty similar here, but you know, from the historic point of view, I, at least when I speak about Europe, and there is a big difference between Europe and, and the US, I think the point is that everything was started under a super high political pressure. Right. And the OEMs, the vehicle manufacturers followed that. Some of them pretty soon in, in early stages announced we're not uh, producing any combustion engines anymore. We go full electric vehicles. Further one followed and many of them have announced that by 2025 or 2030, they just produce solely electric vehicles. So the pressure is increasing and that pressure I think was on the OEMs, but also came to energy providers. Now, difference between the US and Europe is, and you've been here probably a number of times, is from, let's say, an infrastructure perspective, the US is slightly more homogeneous. If you go to Europe, well, and you want to drive uh, to your holiday location, right, you have to cross four different countries. The next, the next border is 20 minutes away from where I live. Uh, and actually, this is two countries I can go into Holland and to Belgium, right? And if I drive 30 kilometers further, I'm in France. So it's not just energy providers and the political environment and the technical environment in one single country with charging providers, payment providers, applications that show your charging stations, etc. But also you have to deal with the next country where it might look completely different and 200 kilometers further again. So it's much more fragmented environment. There was a nice comparison actually about a family in the US who twice took holidays of uh, four and a half thousand kilometers and were kind of reporting this kind of environment and their experience with an electronic vehicle, right? And somebody in Europe said, oh, let's try to do the same in Europe, right? And the experience was completely different, right? And with all of the typical, let's say, problems that you have through that, right? You know, charging stations, not, not pre-bookable, payments don't work, stations occupied, uh, information on apps, and there are many apps, I think there are I counted 20, 25 different apps which locate the charging stations for you and you can plan your routes and some of that was inaccurate and the charging stations don't work. There are defects and, 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 and. So it, it's a very exciting journey. And I think all of that has to change to make it attractable for, for consumers. Yeah, so I think you brought up a really good point, Tom. And I mean, We'll speak mostly from the U.S. side in terms of immediate experience, and obviously we're still going through adoption, but you can call out something like for the U.S., 
you know, we did have uh, President Biden set a goal of building 500,000 charging stations by 2030. We also have investment of about 50% of our Okay, vehicle sales being EVs. So there's obviously a lot of interest in kind of what that change is going to look like that may not immediately be hitting right now. But to that degree, that's going to feed over into some of the pieces around like you mentioned, which are multiple multiple OEMs accessing different charging stations, multiple kind of points of, of data. So that's the application or the RFIDs that are interacting with those charging stations as well, I think are all pretty interesting, but you bring up a great point, which is just the complexity of the environment, especially abroad. You're not just working within one country. Um, that's, that is something that I think is a very interesting perception. And so when, when we're thinking about some of the difficulties, one, I, I know you mentioned kind of the the charging time. So one, it's a huge kind of lift. So you may have to leave your car for quite some time to actually get full charge again. And then looking at some of the, say, broken at arrival, a station not working when you show up or looking at the prices, um, those sorts of things. How do you think, you know, it's affected the ability to establish a reliable say, charging station model for EVs right now or adoption? Well, I guess in, in order to, let's say, speed up the process, right, it has to be seamless and convenient for, for, the, for the consumer. And I think that's, that's a true statement probably for most of the products that we see, right? But since this all was kind of this journey started pretty much under pressure with let's say not a fully matured coordinated and orchestrated process around these around the aspects that you were just talking about is that, that we are in a kind of agile dynamic process to make gradually improvements for charging infrastructure right and that is country per country is different. In some countries, is more more enforced or pushed or supported by the governments. In others, they go at a different speed. There's political interactions with the the charging providers and the energy providers um, because they need to invest heavily. Obviously, right? Then you have the OEMs like Elon who who try to go his own route with the power charging stations, right? Um, so different players in a different environment, and it goes gradually. But ultimately, right, there is, there's two points coming together. One is, when is the point in time when you change vehicle and you say, okay, now I have a decent level of convenience. I can say, if I buy an electric vehicle now, I'm pretty sure I can charge it in the office where I go. I can charge it at home. I have an ex charging station next to me and it's well under control, I don't run into issues, then it becomes a purchase decision, right, at the end. But the other one is when these OEMs are actually switching and you do only get electric vehicles. These two things have to come together, right? And that would be the ideal situation, right? And it's not there. For example, if I give you an example, um, just a personal example for me, in my environment where I live, I cannot charge, I wouldn't be able to charge an electric vehicle anywhere near to my house. It doesn't exist. 
I would need to go to the office. And in the office, there are kind of, let's say, 10, 15 charging stations for, but only available for uh, employees who have a company car. Right. And usually they come at seven o'clock in the morning, put this on the charger, and then they are in their normal business environment. Nobody runs out, runs out four hours later and to disconnect this car, repark the car and go back. So it is always infrastructure related, convenience related, and it needs to fit to the way of living and where you are, where you are currently located. And if these kind of things come together, I think we can see a boost. This is when the whole model starts to starts to work. So I, I guess there's there's one thing that that I'm thinking of that comes up when you say that. So one from like a spot perspective, like really addressing problems like that. The only kind of clear delineation in my mind or say relation that I can see is kind of some of our say flight maps, for example. So actually understanding where seats are available on a plane, that was a huge kind of part of digital transformation. And so imagining something like that for EVs, but really like there's a there's a greater kind of need there for some of the say availability issues that are going through. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, what is really on the roadmap to help address besides gaining the attention of both regulatory and the consumer together? Well, one aspect, as you said, is, is in my eyes, is indeed a reliable and more reliable than today, a reliable way of identifying the location of a charging station allowing to pre-book the station for a certain slot when you arrive there, right? Find it, book it, and use it, and convenient payment, right? Even payment, there are problems with payments. For example, you arrive at this charging station, and some of them can be unlocked by RFID chips, and sometimes that doesn't work. So you have a charging station, you arrive, but the authentication and access to the station doesn't work. So all of that needs to come together. And if you see at, at the beginning, I think there were just a handful of apps. And now there are 25, 30 apps, at least when I look at Germany for, for a second, right? So, and, but from multiple providers. So if I have a journey from A to B, I need to look at multiple different applications to identify the spots and multiple different energy or service providers, charging providers and check that, and that information needs to be re reliable. And some of that is, for example, uh, I read this the other day, and I think it was last week, was the fact that the charging providers and the stations itself sometimes don't feed the information which are displayed on the apps, but consumers use, they do. So you, you kind of go there and you read comments from other customers, Say, if you go there, watch out, there's this and this and this problem. And you need to say, okay, is that information from an hour ago? Is it from a day ago? Is the, the problem still existing? So it starts to raise concerns in your mind, right? How reliable is the information here? So re reliability of data, accuracy of data, and ad hoc information, plays a phenomenal role to make the whole thing really work. Right. I, I would couple that reliability with relevancy. 
right? To your point is how long has that comment been there? How long has that issue been persistent? When I when I think about uh, some of the issues, not can, not related to the infrastructure uh, or the process that that I've seen in the U.S., it's uh, I'll, I'll be generous and call them activists for whatever cause will come and unplug people's electric vehicles while they're charging because they have some some reason that they're they feel justified and they come and they unplug your vehicle right so if there's a a a lurker an activist who is actively at a spot and you read that comment well is that from today do i have to worry about bringing a charging lock today right a special adapter that i have to carry with me and plug into attach to the plug that plugs into my car so they can't unplug me Right. So I think there's the, that reliability of the information, making sure it's not a troll who's posting comments of just, you know, trying to make things go belly up. And then the relevancy of that data, right, has the issue been solved since the comment was was there uh, is not always do do providers or OEMs or those involved have the time, the resources, the availability to go in to those comment sections and say, we have fixed this. Thank you for bringing it to our attention, right? So that that's a, an important piece as well. Now, when I hear you describe uh, the different components that have to come together, uh, really what we're talking about is the birth of a new type of economy, right? A new economic model of connected things. And at the center of, of this, of this economy of things has been Vodafone, right? And so uh, I was doing some reading several months back and, and Chris and I were talking about it. Is this uh, proof of concept or this pilot of the economy of things that, that Vodafone's running? And it's a super fascinating concept to help bridge some of these gaps, help bring together some of these pieces and try to make that experience more seamless. Uh, so I'm, I'd be interested in were some of these issues that you laid out, were those the drivers for creating this, this concept of the economy of things? Well, I think the answer is multifold to that. So Vodafone as such and the IoT arm of, of, um, of Vodafone is technology-wise one of the largest IoT providers in the world, right? So we have a large machine-to-machine network. And lots of partners creating solutions and selling this to, to global enterprises, to large corporations and, and do that. And obviously, the monetization of, of data coming from the IoT world is definitely a driver. And frankly speaking, if if I would be, let's say, a little bit more visionary, I would say we're just in, at the embryonic stage for that. So, you know, looking at the amount of data that, that IoT devices create. And if we would sit together over a dinner and think about what you could do with that data and what is open for that, I think there is so much potential, right? Which can make lives a lot easier. And we're just in the early stages of that. So on a secondary as a secondary element to that is, of course, Vodafone as a, as a telecommunications and data provider, we are at the forefront of uh, helping to drive 5G applications when it goes to autonomous, semi-autonomous driving. So that journey, independent of, it, of, of, uh, of the other part, is also happening at the same time, right? And we are involved heavily at that. So if you put both things together, I think Vodafone as a corporation is in a, is in a good position to help that 
economic change to a new economic model. And I believe the, I wouldn't necessarily throw electric vehicles um, as a, as the most important ingredient into the mix because purely connected vehicles, even if they're not electric vehicles, play a massive role in that, right? So all of them generate data and this data can be monetized and can be the basis for new products and services. Look at, look at what these data can do to improve uh, traffic flows dynamically, uh, traffic traffic uh, guidance and management into communities and cities where you can do this much more dynamically based on real data that you have, not historic data and forecasts, but actual live data and react more agilely. Parking guidance can be a role, right? Can play a role. Uh, fleet management operations and applications play a role that can be much more dynamic. And we're just at the beginning of all. Yeah, and I think that's a really good distinction, right? Because there's there's at least two branches to this, right? There's the average consumer side, right? And having that real-time availability. I, I've driven past gas stations or driven into a gas station only to find like, oh, there's no pumps available. Now, luckily with gas, it's you know, a three-minute wait, right? But even that sometimes is an inconvenience if I'm in a hurry or late or I've got my kids in the car, right? Uh, three minutes sometimes is too long and you drive 30 feet to the next gas station and then keep going until you find one that has an open pump. But with EVs, that's not always available. It doesn't work. Yeah. Right. You don't, you, you don't always have the opportunity uh, or the luxury of time, right. To drive up and be like, I can wait 45 minutes to an hour and a half for this car to finish charging before I run out of range. Right. So having that real dynamic mapping of what charging stations are available uh, as the data gets more robust and starts being presented back to consumers, how long until the next port is available for me? And can I reserve it and book it to your point before of, I now have a guaranteed slot where I can go and plug in, I can schedule it into my day and have and build my life around that experience. There's also the commercial aspect, right? Of fleet management. How do you start to navigate a, if you're a, a UPS or a FedEx or a DHL, or sometimes how do you transport. manage your fleet or public transport? How do you manage your fleets so that you're always running at an optimal level of charge, maximizing battery life, uh, reducing downtime, scheduling uh, so you're not running off schedule, that you're getting things where they need to go, making those transfers. And that's a, that's a really important piece as uh, organizations, companies are usually the largest, uh, co- the, they are the largest consumer of some of these products, right? So I think that's a really, a really key distinction. An interesting point could also be what what brings the battery evolution, the technology evolution of battery development in the next kind of 20 years. Are we able to compress size and space of batteries and, and environmental conditions that are required for that down to a, a size which allows to replace batteries rather than charging? Mm-hmm. I think that could also be an interesting game changer if that's really going to happen. And once in a while you read first, let's say, articles about research and what's going to happen in in this area. But that could be a real game changer. And that makes it as convenient as as a fuel pump, a three minute thing. Yeah, a hot swap of your battery and leave it for the next person, right? Yeah.
So I do want to take back to just overall the economy of things, maybe bringing in a definition for our listeners to, to come back to, which is really just looking at IoT devices as this kind of gatherer of personal data a lot of the times about that, that end user, whether it's a consumer commercial side and how that's actually being exchanged for a tailored experience. So some of the things that Tom, you were hitting on in terms of availability or say ensuring that you've you've got enough time to get to your destination, you've got enough time for charging, but also say patching updates, that sort of thing for commercial fleets as well. All of those things are really key in terms of the experience that the end user is going through. And so I, I want to kind of take back to validate from our side and understanding of where those collection points actually are. So I think that we've mentioned a little bit here, one mobile app. So having multiple apps that are collecting data, also an RFID um, as generating data about those specific uh, EVs and then also the charging station. So between those two, I guess, Tom, are those what we're understanding as our major collection points or any others that we might be interacting with? I would say no, because these are, if, if, you, if you take 24 hours, right, there are only, let's say in this 24 hours, maybe one or two points in time when you are approaching, if we speak about EV charging, a charging station, where that information is going to be collected, right? And that is why I, I think we should open it a little bit more and also talk about connected vehicles as such, because the vehicle is sending data permanently all the time, different things, vehicle conditions, road conditions, weather conditions, traffic conditions in the future, maybe, or if you go into the city, parking conditions, uh, traffic guidance conditions, uh, and, and the vehicle is vehicle to vehicle communication and uh, lots of things, right? And the, the vehicle is constantly communicating. And if we, if we think about the volume of data coming from vehicles all the time when driving, even when it's probably parking, it's still sending information. It could still send me uh, data information, weather information about that. So I would say the charging part is, yes, it's one data collection point, but the vehicle itself is another one. Stay tuned for our next episode where we explore data privacy and human safety concerns as electric vehicle adoption booms. 